Good morning. Please open your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I was talking to Nathan Harrison, our youth director, and he was telling me every time you say, open your Bibles, a lot of the kids whip out their cell phones. And so I said, oh, yeah, see, there they are. And then Nathan said to me, I'm not so sure they're opening to their Bibles. They might be opening to Angry Birds or Facebook or something. I don't know. So you're opening to your Bibles, right, guys? Okay, just tell me you are. Yes? Okay, thank you. James chapter 1. As you now know, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, James organizes, organizes what he says in this remarkable letter into three main headings, under three main headings, trials and temptations, wisdom and speech, and rich and poor. Now, while I'm still saving a closer look at his more precise structure of his letter for our last sermon on James, it's something called a chiasm, ooh, but for now, suffice it to say that James both opens his letter and closes his letter with trials and temptations. And so if we think of trials and temptations as the envelope for James's letter, it surrounds everything else, everything he has to say fits inside and relates to the envelope of trials and temptations. And so far, the first two Sundays, we've examined the envelope, trials and temptations. We've seen, that, we've seen that we can consider even joy when hard things happen in life because as God works with us through the pain, we become more and more and more like Jesus, my friends, and that's an occasion for joy. And then last week, we saw that that the reason that trials or hard things in life can work the other way is us. Our own sinful desires prevent us from partnering with God through the hard things in life. We get in the way of trials developing perseverance and perseverance making us complete not lacking anything in James' words. Instead, we often, we often allow the hard things in life to tempt us, to become temptations, to fool us into thinking that God isn't good. And James says, don't even go there. It's not true because God is good good. Really, every believer's fundamental trial for James is this. Will I continue to trust that God is good despite the trials in my life? When we trust that God is good in the midst of trials, perseverance in that partnership with him builds and leads us to be more like Jesus. When we doubt that God is good in the midst of trials and that doubt becomes temptation and sin, well then sin ends up in death, James says. So God is good, James declares. You can bet your life on it. Now this morning, 
We move to a second fundamental trial for James that every believer must face. And in moving to this second foundational trial, we move to James' second main theme of wisdom and speech. In James' second foundational trial that we all, I believe, will face in life sooner or later in some fashion is this. Will I continue to look to God and his word as the source of wisdom and truth despite the trials in life. In short, James' first foundational anchor is God is good. And his second is God is truth or wisdom. And given the trials in life, to keep them trials that lead to perfection or completeness, and to keep those trials from becoming temptations and sin that lead to death, James encourages us to hold fast to those two anchors. God is good, and God is truth. And so with those two anchors in mind, let's jump back into James as he weaves his second main theme wisdom and speech into his first theme of trials and temptations. Your Bibles are open to James 1, and I'll begin reading at verse 5. And see if you can find those anchors that James gives us to cling to when we experience hard things, those anchors of God is good and God is truth. James 1, beginning at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Okay, I'm going to have interactive scripture reading with you this morning. (laughs) Yes, I know. To speak in church during the sermon, unheard of. Well, it's going to be heard of here. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Is it interactive or intraactive? I think it's intra. We went through this at school because it's intramurals at school, right? Because it's sports within the community. Inter because it's different. Well, intramurals are different people. Let's go look this up. No, sorry. (laughs) If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask... Why? Why should we ask God for wisdom? Because God is the source of? Truth or wisdom. Okay, because God is the source of? Okay, let's say truth. God is the source of? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. What will be given to him? Truth. Good, because God is? Truth. And why does God give truth generously to all without finding fault? Why would he do such a marvelous thing? Because God is good. Hey, you're doing a lot better. Verse 6. But when he asks for wisdom, he must believe and not doubt. Not doubt what? Okay, good, I heard it both. Not doubt that God will give truth generously because God is good. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. 
That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. We'll see unstable a little bit later in a different context. Let's pick it up now down at verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this. And then James quotes a proverb. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you. Oh, there's truth again, God's word, his truth planted in us as believers and followers of Jesus. And James pleads with us, pleads with us to hold fast during trials to God's goodness and to God's truth, to reach for God's truth when we need wisdom, to know that God is good, to trust in his truth. Don't be fooled, James says. Just because there are trials doesn't mean that God isn't good or that his truth is suspect. God is good. God is true. Keep living your faith out loud in the midst of trials because those two anchors, God is good and God is truth, will hold. And an amen would be all right. Amen. Now, with all of that on the table, now James zeroes in to one particular problem in the early church. And believe it or not, that's brothers and sisters in Christ saying bad things about each other. Fancy that. Christians saying bad things about other Christians. Can we even imagine that? Who here, just by a show of hands, don't be shy, got you talking in church, now you can raise hands in church too. Who here has had a Christian at some point say something bad about them, something that hurt? Don't look at them. Go ahead, raise them high. Wow. See, every hand, I think, goes up. Unless maybe you've only met your first Christian a few seconds ago. <laughs> Haven't we all been hurt uh, by words from another believer? And once again, i just stunned and amazed at the timeless application of Scripture. James might as well be writing to all believers today, including us. And this is a problem. It's a serious problem. It's really serious for James. And to highlight how serious it is, he links it tightly, inextricably, hand in hand with God's wisdom and truth. We'll see how in a minute. Roughly two of James' five chapters, 40% of his letter, deals with this bond between wisdom and speech. It's that important. In fact, it's so important that we speak well of each other that when we don't, when we instead say negative things about each other and bicker and fight in anger, when we do that, 
we declare that we don't think much of God's wisdom. In fact, when we act like that toward each other, we declare to God and to all the world that our wisdom comes from somewhere else, from the world, not from God. And we act just like those who don't know the love of God. In fact, we often act worse. Let's see what James has to say in more detail, beginning at chapter 3. James first addresses teachers, because they talk a lot. (laughs) But he quickly includes everyone. James says, James chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, that complete man again from James chapter 1 able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, fire is serious today, but in the ancient world, it's one of the worst disasters that could happen. They just didn't have the capacity to put it out. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Is that Greek word again for unstable linking it back to that James 1, 8, double-minded guy. It is a restless, unstable evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And there's one of James's tightest metaphors linking wisdom and speech. Because when impure speech comes out of our mouth and we speak bad of one another, What we're testifying to is that wisdom where it comes from. We even testify that that wisdom comes from God if we're known as Christian. Let's skip down to chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. 
You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Verse 11, chapter 4. Brothers, do not slander one another. In my training as an attorney, I got to define slander. And slander legally in our culture and our tongue is it's a false statement against someone that damages their reputation. The Greek here is broader, or it can be broader. And in context, it seems as if it's broader. It's anything negative or bad, even the true things that's said to damage someone's reputation. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. What's the law here that's spoken against when we speak bad of one another? What's the law in the Bible? First five books of the Bible, right? Books of Moses called the law, Torah. And how does Jesus summarize that law? Love God, love others. What James is saying here, don't miss it, is when we speak badly about one another, we're judging that law. We're saying, here's what I think about that law. That doesn't work. We're judging it to be of no consequence. We're judging that we don't trust that. That's not what we live by. It's that serious when we speak badly about one another. And we're not just speaking badly about the law. James is quick to tell us who's behind it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge. I wonder who that is. Oh, the one who is able to save and destroy, that one. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? You know, I researched the little song because I was convinced whoever wrote it was inspired by this verse. You know the song, I think. The title is the title of the message. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, it's exactly what James is saying here. Several years ago, I experienced uh, firsthand what happens when Christians 
lose control of their rudder, lose control about, uh, of their tongue, and they say bad things about other Christians. There was um, a huge disagreement among brothers and sisters in Christ over theology of all things. Can you imagine? Wow. You want to fight? Start arguing about theology. And those fights and quarrels can get especially nasty, and this one really did. And as the disagreement escalated over time, all sorts of horrible accusations rang out. Everyone wanted to be right. For my part, uh, I was called a false teacher. I was called a heretic. I was um, accused of deliberately leading kids to rebel against their parents. Brainwashing um, was the word that was used because I encouraged kids to stand and shout the greatest commandment, Shema. And then one day I heard through the grapevine, you know, I heard about myself through the grapevine, <laughs> that I didn't believe Jesus was fully God. I said, wow, I don't. And I, I do believe he's fully God, as you well know. And on and on. It got to be to the point, you know, I wonder what, what awful thing I'll hear said about someone tomorrow. And while I tried my best to stay above it all, it was hard. I'm a former lawyer, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Just itching for a good argument. And I said some things that I regret. Mm, wish I could go back. But once said, they're out there, aren't they? Consuming fire. It's like going to a forest fire or going to your house if it burns down and is in ashes and thinking... Oh, I wish I could go, go back and unplug the iron. And the saddest thing about it all, the saddest thing about it all is it tore Christian community apart. It shredded it. It ran roughshod over the command to love our neighbors. All in a big, loud, public way. The whole thing was the worst display of Christian love I've ever seen, and I'll include myself in that too. And I'm sure the devil just laughed in his derisively delightful way, delighting over it, as Jesus' law of love was judged to be incomplete or insufficient and dragged through the mud by the very ones who follow him. And I know, I know Wes Bowles went through something very similar in her history. In fact, I know of no church that hasn't at some point 
almost every Christian ministry does. Divide and conquer. Boy, that's got to be the devil's main chief strategy against Christians. Weedle his way between us and God. Get us thinking that God isn't good or God isn't truth. So we get on the temptation, sin and death wheel. And slurk his way between brothers and sisters in Christ. Getting us thinking we're better than them, or, or, or they're no good, or, or, or they're the problem. And you know the one tiny thing that almost always starts or indeed fuels those colossal Christian community catastrophes, the tiny thing that causes such gaping division Ordinary, how powerful this is. If you've been through anything like that, then you don't have to be convinced this morning that pure speech about each other is crucial. And I think James is trying to stop, stop his first century community from courting disaster. Brothers, don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Please, stop it, please. We have to keep an eye on this thing. And that's hard to do it because you can't see it. James gives us two anchors to cling to when trials come. God is good and God is truth. And when we speak ill of one another, make no mistake, we let go of God's goodness and his being our source of truth as expressed in his command to love him and love others. It's one of the worst mistakes we can make is speak ill of one another because we let go of those anchors and get tossed by the waves, become double-minded. Now, your assignment this week, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is this. I'd love for all of us, all of us, try to go through this entire week without saying something bad about anyone. Beginning in a few minutes downstairs with Kyle Orton. <laughs> Someone over here is saying, can we start tomorrow? Pray for him. Try that. Try it for a day. Can you tune into what you say? And I think you'll find that's really hard. It's become such a habit. It's become entertainment even. How many TV shows that are popular now do we like to watch because people are judging other people? Woohoo, look at that. (laughs) 
If something negative against someone starts to come out of your mouth this week, just grab your tongue. <laughs> Do it. Just grab it. Or if you hear someone else start to go down that road, grab theirs. Now, <laughs> now I know there's a time and place for constructive criticism and even admonition. I know Matthew 18 gives us guidelines for confronting other believers who sin against us. I know. But even in those circumstances, it has to be done in love and done appropriately and carefully and with empathy and with this overwhelming sense of who am I to judge? So for one week at least, I'm asking when we feel ourselves starting to run someone down with our words, stop. See if you can do it. I think you'll find it's difficult. Just this past Friday, I was talking to a friend. I made a negative comment about another believer. My friend immediately countered by saying something positive about him, and he ended with this question to me, don't you think so too? <laughs> and I caught myself, thanks to this friend, right in the middle of preparing this message. <laughs> I've got a long way to go before I'm like Jesus. So one week at least. Nothing negative about anyone. Just try it. In that way, maybe we can train ourselves to be better stewards of our tongue. Maybe if we can make that a habit that lasts longer than a day or a week, we can have fewer and fewer hands go up in a church when someone asks if we've been hurt by the words of a fellow believer. And maybe if we control our speech about others, we'll rid ourselves of a huge toehold. In fact, it's not a toehold. It's two great big iron handles. We'll rid ourselves of those that Satan just loves to grab to rip us apart. And there's no maybe about it. If we keep our speech pure, Boy, the devil loses a grip on dividing us. You know, there's something to be said about the saying, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. I might change the word nice to loving to better tie it uh, with God's love command, but one of the wisest sayings ever, I think. And you know one of the worst sayings ever? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> James heartily disagrees. That's a lie. Give me the sticks and stones any day. Which doesn't mean you can now go start throwing things at each other. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, James gives us forces us to take a careful look at something that many of us, including me, can so easily take for granted. Saying bad things, negative things, slanderous things about other brothers and sisters in Christ as if we're something and we're the judge. Help us, Father, to leave that to you. Help us, Father, instead to humble ourselves and to speak to one another in love.
that the world may know that you are indeed you who are love, are indeed our source of truth, that you are indeed good. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, amen. Would you stand please for the benediction, God's blessing, his good words. It comes from, comes from James chapter 3, a portion that I skipped, and James is talking more about wisdom and speech being bonded together, and he's talking about two different kinds of wisdom. And it gives us a flavor, at least, the context of what our speech should be like. James says this, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, I can't remember the second one. Does anyone have it? James 3. Oh, thank you. Boy, I'm getting old. I can't read this small print. Does it? Yeah, use my phone. Um, considerate, that's it. I must need to work on being considerate. <laughs> the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, Peacemakers who sow peace harvest a wealth of righteousness. May that be said of us, my brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Please, join us downstairs for a cup of chili. Say something nice to someone down there. Have a great week, West Bowles.